Well, thank you <coughs> for that beautiful music. Um, if you have your Bibles, would you please turn to Isaiah 43? You're going to read chapter 43, verse 14 through to the end. Isaiah chapter 43. Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I have sent to Babylon, have brought down all their nobles and Chaldeans whose cry is in the ships. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, which bringeth forth the chariot and the horse and the army and the power, they shall lie down together, they shall not rise, they are extinct, they are quenched as tow. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing, now it shall spring forth, shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field shall honor me. The dragons and the owls, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert, to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. But thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob, but thou hast been weary of me, O Israel. Thou hast not brought me the small cattle of thy burnt offerings, neither hast thou honored me, with thy sacrifices. I have not caused thee to serve with an offering, nor wearied thee with incense. Thou hast bought, brought me no sweet cane with money, neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifices. But thou hast made me to serve with thy sins. Thou hast wearied me with all thine iniquities. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Thy first father hath sinned, and thy teachers have transgressed against me. Therefore I have profaned the princes of the sanctuary, and I have given Jacob to the curse, and Israel to reproaches. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the word. Father, thank you for this evening and for these dear folk who have gathered together. I pray, Lord, as we just uh, open these precious words, that you'll give us something that we could hang on to in this uh, year that's ahead of us. And Lord, just uh, bless our hearts to trust you more. In Jesus' precious name, amen. It has been said that the book of Isaiah is a miniature Bible. There are 66 chapters in Isaiah. Uh, the first 39 chapters talk about all the um, pre-prophetic uh, scripture and essentially talk about the kings of Israel, their rights, their wrongs, the judgments of God, the sins that they committed, and pretty much the tone is a tone of judgment. Come transition point, chapter 40, is, uh, begins with these words, comfort ye my people, comfort ye my people. 
In other words, it starts the process of comfort to the children of Israel. And the next 27 chapters pretty much focus on the future, what God had in plan for his people in the future. Those 27 chapters can be split into three equal chapters, nine chapters, nine chapters, and nine chapters. One about how Israel will be redeemed, one about the suffering servant, our Lord Jesus Christ, how he would come and he would uh, give his life as a sacrifice for our sins so that uh, the daily sacrifice is taken away and one uh, a sacrifice once and for all will be made by our loving Savior. And then the next nine chapters is about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it's about the new heavens and new earth, something to shout about, something to say that uh, our God is going to win the battle in the end and how we are to live as Christians. And so if you read the book of Isaiah, you get a picture pretty much of the whole Bible. And so that's, with that in thought, chapter 43 becomes a very interesting chapter. It is a, a chapter where uh, the prophet Isaiah, and by the way, Isaiah prophesied uh, during um, the reign of four kings. He started with Uzziah. You hear the famous words, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, <laughs> chapter 6 of Isaiah. And then uh, there were two Kim, Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah. And uh, the last guy was a bad guy, Manasseh. And so, uh, in fact, uh, tradition has it that Manasseh hated the preaching of the gospel so much or the um, uh, uh, prophecy so much that he had Isaiah uh, jammed in a hollow log and sewn in two. And so when you read in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 that some were sown asunder, he is referring to the prophet Isaiah. And so Isaiah didn't shirk his duty. He stood up. He preached to four kings, to five kings. And he said, judgment is coming. You better change your ways. Otherwise, God's going to deal with you. And today we've lost the fear of God in, in churches today. We think we can live a life which is any whole how, and God just does a wink and says, don't worry, I'm the forgiving God. But I wonder how much blessing he withholds from you because of your lack of devotion to your God. God may not punish you the same way that he punished the children of Israel because he wanted them for his own people to be a witness, to be a testimony to the world, and they were not doing that. And God has called you, every one of you, to be a Christian. Uh, he's shed his precious blood for you, and he wants us to stand up and be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And are we doing that? That's the question. And so uh, Isaiah prophesies, this prophecy, chapter 43, is, when he wrote these words, he prophesied 100 years prior to the Babylonian captivity. It's amazing that he's writing 100 years before the Babylonians were even a force. So the Assyrians were the people who were pretty much the mighty army in those days. They were the ones who'd come and bash you up and take you captive and all that kind of stuff. But this prophecy is specifically against the Babylonians. And they weren't even a people. They weren't even a force to be reckoned with. 
and he's writing to them 100 years before the Babylonian captivity. The children of Israel would eventually go into captivity into Babylon. And who knows how long they were in Babylon? 70 years, good, great, 70 years. So for 170 years before the children of Israel were supposed to come back, he's writing these words. Now, if that isn't prophetic and accurate and amazing, uh, you should give yourself a knock right now, okay? It, it's, it's marvelous that God in his mercy is writing to the then generation saying, this is what I want you to do when you're in the land of Babylon and you don't know what's going to happen to you. And, and church today, we live on the cusp of some incredible events that might take place in the next few years that we are going to see the unfolding, all the stuff that's happening in Israel, all the stuff that's happening north of Israel, in Russia, the alliance between Russia and Iran. There's a nuclear alliance between those two countries ready to unleash their, new, their arsenal on Israel. Okay, so we are living in very, very prophetic times. And it's important that as we live in these prophetic times, that we tune in to God's wavelength. And this chapter 43 gives us an indication of what God through the prophet Isaiah was telling the children of Israel of that day. Listen, you are going to, to be taken captive into Babylon. And you are going to be there for 70 years. But guess what? I haven't finished with you yet. Isn't that wonderful that no matter how far you drift from God, God does not give up on you. You know, often uh, God is referred to as the hound of heaven. How many of you heard that statement, the hound of heaven? He's constantly chasing you down, the labyrinths, the narrow ways. He's chasing you down and pleading with you and saying, come back, come back to me. Because there is life that I can give. There is purpose to your life that I will give. And, and God is calling his own back to himself. And so he's now saying to Israel, I'm going to make a provision for you to come back after those 70 years. God has ordained that the punishment of 70 years will have to happen so that they can understand how serious God was about their idolatry and their sin. And don't think God winks. God doesn't change. God doesn't wink at our sins these days. He may not punish us as often, but God does want you to come back. And at the start of this new year, one of the challenges I would give you is that if you've wandered away from God and if you're living a life which is not pleasing to God, I would plead with you, I would plead with you that you make your way back to God. He's waiting to embrace you, to accept you, to forgive you, and to set you. And that's the message tonight, that he gives you a stability for the future. And so one of the first things God says to, to this nation, which will eventually be in Babylon, under a harsh captor, he says in chapter 43, verse 1, he says this, but now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel. Now, by the way, let me just tell you why Jacob and Israel are mentioned in the same, same verse. 
What was Israel's name before he became Israel? He was Jacob. So it's the two sides of Jacob. He's saying, if you're rebelling against me, listen to me. If you're walking with me as Israel, listen to me. Both of you need to listen. So it's a double-barreled invitation to say, I want you to come back to me. And he says to Israel, oh, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. God puts his stamp of ownership on you. He says, I have created you. There's a double stamp. He says, I have created you. By creation, you're mine. And then because you walked away, I've redeemed you. So by redemption, you are mine. I have paid a price. And you are mine. And so you dare not say, and he said, you've got my name stamped on you. So how can you do the things that you are doing? I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. And he says, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. When thou, and, uh, and the river shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. He is granting them incredible protection against the flood of evil that would come, whether it be by fire or whether it be by water. He said, I'm going to protect you. But what I want you to do is to be faithful to me and to walk with me. And so the first thing God says to us in these tumultuous times is fear not. Our security is with our relationship with our God. You are created, redeemed, called by name, thou art mine. And drop down to verse 10 where he says, you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant, whom I have chosen. God has chosen you to be a witness. Verse 4, it says this, Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. You are precious in his sight. And because of that, he has loved you. Here's that relationship with God. He says, I love you. You're honorable. You're precious. And because of that, I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to secure you. You are mine. Oh, Israel, would you come back to me? I'd love to have you back. I want you to be my witnesses. I have chosen you from all the nations of the world to be my witnesses. But you're not. And so fear can come in when things are not going our way. And they, they, they would have thought to themselves, why are we in Babylon? We are supposed to be God's people. Why are we here? Because God ordained it, that they should be there. You remember the story of Samson in the Old Testament. God anointed him, gave him the power to do anything he wanted. And he played around with God so much and there was a point in his time that the Spirit of God left him. And what does it say? He, he wished not that the Spirit of God had left him. And there comes a point in our time when we are in cruise control. We think everything we do, oh, well, God will do a wink here and a wink there and a pat on the back and make us go through. But some of us may not realize that God's power has left us. Our witness has gone down. 
people are laughing at us. And God says, I uh, fear not because I have created you, I have redeemed you. So the first point that we get is that, that we need to be a people who trust God for his security and his ability to bring us back no matter where we wandered away from. The second thought that we would give is that, and Brother Phil touched on this this morning, that when we face our unstable future, that we need to have faith in God. We need to have faith in God. What does faith in God mean? You need to trust God for all the promises that he has made that he is going to bring you through. I am with you, he said. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You need to trust him for that. And so in, you look at verse uh, 4 again. Thou hast precious in my sight. Thou hast been honorable. I have loved thee. Therefore, therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. And then verse 10, it says this, that you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. There are three words there given, that you may know, you may believe, and that you may understand that I am he. What God is saying is, do you really know me? Do you know that I created the worlds and, you know, I have the power to do whatever I want? Do you know me? Do you know me as the loving God who wants you to have a right relationship with me? Do you believe in me? Do you believe in the words I say? In fact, Jesus asked that question, didn't he, of his disciples? You know, will you also go away? When a lot of people just deserted him, he said, will you also go away? And Peter, of course, responded, say, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Do you believe in God? Or do you believe in a principle that the world puts out? Do you believe in the TikTok messages that ravage your phone from morning till late at night? Some of you can't live without TikTok. But our precious instruction comes from the Bible. Do you believe in God according to what the Bible says? And do you understand me? Now I know there's a verse that says that my ways are higher than your ways. You cannot know me. But you can know God in the things that he has revealed about his love, about his goodness, about his greatness, about his power, about his love. You know that. He's demonstrated it when he stretched out his hands and died on that cross. He says, how much more do you want me to tell you that I love you? That I gave my life for you so that I can redeem you, I can bring you back, I can take the ravages of sin from, away from your life. And then verse 10 goes on to say, before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. 
There is only one God. He's saying, I, I don't want you to go after other, other gods. There's only one God and that's me. There was a king called Ahaz who was actually Hezekiah's father who boarded up the doors of the temple so that people couldn't go in and do their worship to God. And what he did, he boarded up the temple and then he went and worshipped idols of the other gods. Clearly he didn't understand the statement that God makes that I am the only God. It will do you a lot of good if you at the start of this year, just in your prayer said, Lord, I acknowledge you as the only God. Now, I know you did that when you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and when you came and you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. But it doesn't do any harm to say, to re-echo to the Lord so that he hears your confession of faith to say, Lord, I acknowledge that you are the only God. There will be no other gods before me. I will not violate the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt, thou shalt have no other gods before me. You know, today a lot of people have got lots of gods. They trust in materialism. They trust in popularity. They trust in various things. But to the Lord, their loyalty is divided. You know, the Bible also says that our God is a what God? A jealous God. Good, you're really alert tonight. Beautiful. <laughs> He's a jealous God. What does that mean? If you wear a better shirt than he does, you're going to get jealous? No, you're not jealous in that way at all. He is the only God. And his heart breaks when you go and worship something else. And so he's jealous for that. He wants you to have the best, brothers and sisters. He doesn't want you just floundering, seeking something that is not going to edify, drinking out of, as Jeremiah said, broken cisterns that cannot satisfy. You know, when you drink from broken cisterns, it's open to the elements of the world full of infection, right? It's not purified water. And when you drink from that, you'll get infection. You might even get COVID, who knows? But it will not help you in your spiritual walk with God. And so God is saying, I want you to have faith in me. He that has begun a good work in you will do what? Will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. What is the day of Jesus Christ? When he comes back and takes you to be with him. So he said, from the time you were saved... Until he's coming back, he's going to take care of you. He's going to keep working in you. But, you know, the sad thing is, the people who will oppose that is you. You say, God, I don't want your work in my life. And you push God away. And God's saying, I am the only God. There is no other Savior apart from me. Verse 12 goes on to say, I have declared... And I've saved, I have showed, I have declared. In others, God has spoken some things we need to take 
good attention of. Some of the instructions that he has given in the word of God. I have showed you some things, he said. I've opened your eyes. You know, what did Job say? Chapter 42 of Job. After battling with the Lord for 40 odd chapters. As to why all this suffering came upon him. And God just gave him a summary of from the start of creation to where he was, what had happened. And Job's words were these. He said, hitherto my ears have heard of thee, but now mine eyes see thee. And I repent in dust and ashes. And when Job repented, God restored him and made him a great witness in his latter years of his life. Are your eyes open to see the things that God is showing you from the word? Are you listening to what God is saying to you so that you can walk a worthy walk for him? And then verse 12 goes on to say, when there was no strange God among you, therefore you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. You are my witnesses. So God is putting it on us. He's saying, I saved you for what purpose? So that you can be my witnesses. You can tell others about the wonderful things that God has done in your life. And I really appreciate there are many of you here who go out and tell people about the wonder-working power of Jesus. And some have even changed their lives because of your testimony before them. In your workplaces, in your homes, be a testimony for God. Be a witness. The hardest place to be a witness for God is where? In the home. In the home. You know, how do your children see you? How does your wife see you? How does your husband see you? You can all come nicely dressed up to church, wearing the latest perfumes, fantastic. But how does, how are you witnessing in your family? And God's saying, I want you to be my witnesses. And so even in the foreign land in Babylon, when they were captives, there was a remnant who continued to worship God. In fact, there's a psalm which says, uh, by the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? They had a real heart's desire to go back to Jerusalem. And they couldn't wait till the day that the liberation would come, that they could walk out of Babylon and go to their blessed place where they could meet God. Because for the Jew, you understand that Jerusalem was a place there where they met God, where the temple was. And as you know, at that time, the temple had been broken down. And uh, Nehemiah and Haggai and all these uh, prophets before that had to come back and start the rebuilding program so that worship could recommence, so that God could be honored again. But you know, for us living way in front of that 
time. Jesus has opened a new and living way, access to the Father. We need no temple. We can go directly into the presence of God because Jesus, our forerunner, has gone before us and paved the way for us to go into the very presence of God. And he is our blessed high priest who is standing or is sitting at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. I couldn't help when Brother Phil was sharing this morning that when you go through trials, you know, there's a very important person praying for you. Yes, you can have your brothers praying for you, your sisters praying for you. That's great. But you know who's praying for you when you go through a trial? Your Lord Jesus Christ, sitting at the right hand of God. And I can just imagine some of those prayers saying, oh, God, strengthen him. Strengthen him to not fall into temptation. Help him in this time to just stand up for you in that awful, horrible place. And you, you know, I don't know but, uh, about you, but I found in my life that I found many times that I found that strength somehow as if there was a strength suddenly to do the right thing in the midst of incredible pressure to go the other way. And God was honored through that. Mistakes are not made because of that. And God will do that if you trust him and know that he is there and that you could cry out to him. So you must not fear because God owns you. He's got your ownership. You must have faith in God, know him, believe him, uh, you know, see him for what he is doing in your lives. And, uh, and, and uh, the next Two will go fairly quickly, but there's a very interesting instruction given in verse 18. He says, remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. In other words, we are instructed to forget our past. Not to forget God, but to forget our past. So he in the first few verses covers that we need to have a lively relationship with God. But he says, don't get stuck in your failures, your disappointments, your rebellion and the idolatry of the past. Because guess what? The devil would love you to get stuck there for as long as he could keep you there. He would say, oh, so you say you're a Christian, do you? Look what you did. Oh, that web page you went to last week, you think God's pleased with that? No, of course not, he is not. And he will accuse you. You know, he is called the accuser of the brethren. So he is accusing you. So every time you make a mistake, how many of you made a mistake last week? A few honest souls. And all of us should have been putting both hands up because we made mistakes. Did you say a harsh word to your wife? Did you in your heart think something bad about somebody? Yes, you did. And the devil would accuse you and try to keep you stuck in the past. So one of the greatest bits of advice that God gives us is don't remember the past. Ask for forgiveness and move ahead. Don't keep going back to the past. Don't keep going back to the past. Say, oh, but I did that. How can I? So when pastor says, can you, can you do this ministry? You just say, oh, but I don't know. I, was, I did this in the past. 
Put that behind you. God has forgiven you. You know, there are people who say, well, I know God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. What have you done? You pushed yourself higher than God's jurisdiction upon your life. You said, I don't really care what God says. I'm saying this. And so you live in that area of defeat forever and ever. And if you need to get right with God tonight, you better do it. You better come and say, God, I, I need to get this right. My, your repentance has got to be genuine. You can't fool God. You can fool anybody. You can fool pastor. You can fool any of the deacons here. They are good men, but they are not the Holy Spirit. But God will see through you, and God will hold you to account. Don't think you'll get away with things with God. Someone once said, God doesn't pay at the end of every day, but in the end he pays. So God will give you time. You remember the cup of the Amorites? It's not yet full principle. So God will give you time. He'll give you time. He'll give you time. He'll, there'll be messages preached. There'll be people telling you stuff. And, and you keep pushing it off, pushing it off. You know the best thing for you to do tonight if your life is wrong before God? Get it right tonight. Come before God and say, God, I want to put the past behind me. I don't want to let this hang on to me. If there are any relationships that need to be broken, I need to break this now. If there's stuff that I'm doing which is not right, I want this broken now. You can't go into this new year with the baggage of last year and all the things you love hanging on to your waistline. How can you run the race with patience that Hebrews asks us to run? When you've got all this baggage, there is lay aside every weight that hinders us. And the sin that so easily besets us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So put the past behind you. What's so hard to go before your loving Heavenly Father? He says, you're precious, I love you. What more do you want God to say? And, and God will start to do some stuff in your life that you never ever believed. Accept God's forgiveness and move on. But remember that what, who God is and how he can control and move in your life. And so the first instruction, and he says, remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old. In other words, don't dwell on it. How many of you love dwelling in some stuff you've done for months and months and months? I once heard of a story of a couple who had been counseled and, um, and uh, it turned out that the, the wife moved out of the bedroom into another bedroom and they've been living in separate bedrooms for 20 years because of one bad conversation they had. Amazing, Christians. What do you think that does to family life? And so you, you have a family to, to, and in our home, we, we, we try to practice it as much as we can. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. So if you have a fight with your wife or your husband, I'm not saying it's okay. Give yourself a slap. No. But, but before you put your head on that pillow, you better go and say sorry and make up. 
Because I tell you what, in the night, when you sleep in the night with your head on the pillow, your thoughts will dwell on that. And when you wake up in the morning, you wake up a more bitter person. Saying, what can I do to get my own back here? It's a true story. If you do that, keep short accounts with God, your life will be blessed. Jesus said this, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And a few verses later, he said, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So the truth will make you free and the son, Jesus Christ himself, has made you free. So why latch on to stuff that you don't need to latch on to? And here's the final thought. He says that in verse 19, behold, I will do a new thing. He does a new thing in what situation? When you're willing to forget the past. When you're willing to say sorry. When you're willing to say, Lord, I want to walk with you. That where you do a 180 degree turn and come back to God. They are the ones God is saying, I am going to do a new work in you. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? You will know it. Because God's power will start working with you again. You know, you thought God's power departed from you, but he will start working with you again. I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. You know, the way back from Babylon to Jerusalem was largely through a desert. And in the desert were wild animals. And so when you take that journey, it could be a dangerous journey. And so God said, when you take this journey back, guess what? I'm going to make a way in the desert. How many of you have gone through a desert, driven through a desert? And how many of you have got lost? It's hard, right? There are no signposts to say Brisbane this way. No. You've got to literally use your GPS and navigate I don't know how. But God says, I will make you a way in the desert. I will put some signposts for you. I will put some stop signs for you. I will put some give way signs for you so that you can safely navigate through this desert. And look what he says in verse 20, the beast of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So God's going to take care of all those things that can jeopardize your journey back to God. How good is God? Not only does he convict you of your sin and say, you need to break from your past, you need to come back to me, so that you can be a witness for me. But he says, I'm going to take care of all those obstacles in the way. And by the way, don't worry about water. I can give you water in the wilderness. And when the children of Israel went through the, from Egypt across the Red Sea and to the Promised Land, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. There were no rivers, there were no pools of water, but God gave them drink. The rock that followed him, 1 Corinthians says, was Christ. And he was following the, this precious people that he has separated and feeding them, giving them water to drink. And God will feed you. God will give you the water that you need to drink. And John chapter 7 and verse, I think it's 37. On the last day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said, if you are thirsty, come to me and drink. And if you drink, what happens? Out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. 
So if all of you are flowing with living water, this place by now should be flooded. Correct? Now that, of course, Jesus wasn't talking literally about that water. But he was saying that if you drink, and, and then it explains, so he was talking about the Holy Spirit. That if you drink of that spirit, that he will, he's not just there to refresh you. He's there to refresh everyone else. So when you become a witness for God, when you are walking in obedience to God and you're drinking from the precious fountain that Jesus has provided, although you're in a desert, you'll be like a river flowing. You'll, you're, you'll be refreshing everything in its way and God will be glorified as the testimony, your testimony, your witness will hold fast. Jesus, uh, God said, I will do a new thing. It will spring forth. Guess who is saying, I will do. When God says, I will do it, do you think he can do it? It's not maybe. God said, I am doing a new thing. Did I break it? No, I didn't. <laughs> is God doing a new thing in your life? He said he is. Have you surrendered to him? Have you said, accepted, Lord, I'm not going to fear the future. I'm going to put my faith in you. I'm going to let go of the past like you instruct me. And I know that you're giving me water. You're setting a new path for me. There's a new compass that I follow. Lord, I want to follow you in all truth and holiness in this new year. Focus on the future. God's purpose for you is that you will show forth his praise. When God says he's doing a new thing, it could be a new opportunity. It could be a new potential. You know, the more you allow the Holy Spirit to fill you, you surrender it to your life, your potential increases, your capacity increases, you can do more. You say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Uh, and there's greater power in your life and your prayer life will be transformed. And, and you will be able to do things for God that you never thought you could do. I think 2024 is going to be the year of a not complacent church, but a church that is on fire, a church that is thirsty for God, who will drink deeply of God and who will say, let us out the door. Amen. Build another door out there so we can rush out the door. And be a witness so that others will be drawn to Christ. Time is short. And you and I have been called to be witnesses by God. The question is, would you accept that challenge? As Brother Phil said this morning, the person who walks with you is none other than God. What a privilege to walk with God. And, and, and he guiding you and directing you every step of the way. You know, the sad thing is that when this message went to the captives in Babylon, only a remnant returned. Guess what happened to the majority? They got comfortable in their Babylonian lifestyle. Nice houses, hanging gardens of Babylon. Of course, Babylon is the current Iraq, right? The, one of the seven wonders of the world. 
they got comfortable with Babylon. And that is one of the dangers that we don't get comfortable with the world outside. Very easy to do. Very easy to allow those things to take first place in our heart. And the love of God determines, uh, flows out. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus condemns one of the churches for their lukewarmness. He said, you're lukewarm. You're useless for anything. I'd rather you be hot or cold, but not lukewarm. You're ready to be just thrown out. And he said, unless you repent, what are the warning? I'll come and remove the candlestick. The interesting thing is all those seven churches which had a personal warning from the Lord Jesus Christ no longer exist. You go to the Holy Land, Brother Dan, you've been there. I don't know whether you've gone looking for these churches, but none of them exist. They did not heed God's warning and God's passionate call for them to repent and come back to him. There are three things that can hinder your coming back, and I'll close with that. Verse 22, but thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob, but thou hast been weary of me. When you get weary of praying, I mean really praying, not just turning up on a Wednesday evening and praying for 10 minutes. That's not praying. It, it's a form of prayer, but praying from your heart. They were weary of praying. May we resurrect our desire to pray together a lot more. Pray in your homes, pray in your families. And because they were weary in their calling out to God. You know, when you have all those resources that God has said he could give you, he said, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Why wouldn't you call to God? You should be calling to God regularly and say, God, I need you. I need you at the start of this week. Give me the strength for this week. Help me to be a witness for you. Help me to give up some of those sins that have been besetting me. I want to put that aside. I want to start my journey, my walk back to you. The second reason that they were ineffective was verse 24. Thou hast bought me no sweet cane with, uh, sorry, verse 23. Thou hast not brought me the small cattle of thy burnt offerings. In other words, their worship stopped. So prayer stops and worship stops. And when those two things start to dwindle, you'll find that your love for God starts to diminish. And of course, I'll add the word of God is also very important in that, in the three. And then what has wearied God, verse 24, is a very sad statement. Towards the end of verse 24, thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. Can you weary God? Does God get tired? Well, that verse says he does. With what? With your iniquities. How much of baggage are you carrying tonight? There's stuff you need to get rid of. 
and get honest with God so that God can start to bless you and to make you the true witness that he wants you to be. And I pray that this message for the new year, I don't know why the Lord directed me here, but I just felt an urging that God wanted me to say these things tonight. Let's be serious with God. He loves you. You're precious. You're honorable. Let's honor God with our lives. And 24 be a great year for you. You know, I remember there was a TV program called This Is My Life. How many of you watched that? You know, they sort of have pages of a person's life. And there would be one of those pages somewhere in the middle where a decision was made which made this person successful. He was going nowhere, but he made this decision and then things started to look up. Maybe for some of us, 2024 might be the year that in the story of your life, when God opens your book and says, 7th of January, 2024, I saw a change. I saw something happen. I saw a genuine spark in the heart wanting to get back to God. And I welcome this brother with open arms. And your life flourishes and becomes honorable to God that could be used in his service. I pray that that would be your prayer as it is my prayer. And uh, God will help you in 2024 to live for him and bring glory and honor to his name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that your word is so precious and Lord, you speak to us even though you were speaking to the Israelites then. You speak to us today. We have the throne of grace that you have so graciously opened. You say to us, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who needs to get stuff right, Lord, that they may avail themselves of the throne of grace. And Lord, understand that you are a loving God, cares for them, that they put their faith in you to navigate and guide them through this coming year. Lord, I pray you will open rivers for them. Lord, the power of the Spirit will work through their lives. And Lord, that there'll be refreshment, there'll be fruit even in the desert. And uh, Lord, that your name would be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Brother Paul.